Hello, friends. My name is Hannah, and you are listening to She Reads, They Eat, a podcast for all of my fellow literature lovers or for anyone wondering what they should read next. I cover all kinds of reads from children's book to classic literature to science fiction and fantasy. I read, you listen, and my Patreon community sends 90% of their proceeds to the hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and needy. The other 10% is used to bring you even better content. Most of my podcast is free to listen to, but for as little as $1 a month, you can join my Patreon community for exclusive content. Thanks so much for listening today, and let's dive right into today's reads. Hello, and welcome to another episode of She Reads, They Eat. Uh, This is one of my free episodes. And I'm going to be covering some, just a few classics uh, that I really enjoy. Some would be considered more traditional classics and some not so much. So it looks like I have about three in both of those categories. So for more uh, traditional classics, I have The Three Musketeers by Alexander Dumas. I have An Old Fashioned Girl by Louise May Alcott. And I have Weathering Heights by Emily Bronte. And then the other three books I'm going to be covering today are Life on the Mississippi by Mark Twain, The Crisis by Churchill, and Renaissance and Reformation Times by Dorothy Mills. So why don't I start with Life on the Mississippi by Mark Twain. Ah. And this is the very beginning of the book. It goes like this. The Mississippi is well worth reading about. It is not a commonplace river, but on the contrary, is in all ways remarkable. Considering the Missouri, its main branch, it is the longest river in the world, 4,300 miles. It seems safe to say that it is also the crookedest river in the world, since in one part of its journey it uses up 1,300 miles to cover the same ground that the crow would fly over in 675. So if I remember right with reading this book, and it was a long time ago, um, it seems almost a mixture of fiction and non-fiction. It was written by Mark Twain. Of course, a lot of his stories kind of take place on the Mississippi River, and so he had a special love for it. And I just remember really enjoying this book. I think my mother got me this copy as a Christmas present one year. Could have been a birthday present as well. It was quite a while ago that I read it and was given it. I probably read it in high school. Um, And that's actually, I kind of started with this one because it's the one that I know the remember kind of least about. Um, But I do love, I have a a hardcover copy from, mm, let's see, New York and London Harper and Brothers Publishers 1902. So I have a 1902 version still in pretty good uh, condition. It's got a nice... Hardcover with gold lettering only on the spine. It may have had a dust jacket originally. It's got the pictures on the inside with the uh, like tissue paper to help protect them. So 
that is life on the Mississippi. And I'm going to move on now to the Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas. And I may be pronouncing that wrong. It may be Alexandre Dumas or Dumas. And I'm not quite sure. And I'm sorry because one thing I do not have down very well when it comes to reading is um, pronunciation. Because uh, I have read a lot but not listened to a lot. Um, audiobooks isn't something I've done a lot of but I found The Three Musketeers I read this shortly after I was married so it would have been in 2016 I read this and I was surprised by the fact that there there are three musketeers but there are four main male characters that kind of all work together and I really really enjoyed this book if I remember right, it started out a little bit slower, but it was enjoyable all the way through. It had some really fun characters, funny characters, female characters, romance, intrigue, um, and it got very fast-paced later on. So I enjoyed it. It was worth the longer read. Uh, the current copy I have is... 621 pages long, if you include the page-and-a-half epilogue. Um, so... That is another one of my favorites. And I don't think this will be too long of a podcast today. Uh, if you uh, may have known this already, but I did a Instagram reel this week. And the six books that I am covering are the books that I used in the reel. So let's move on to an old-fashioned girl. Oh, I'm sorry. No, excuse me. Let me go back here. Let me read you the couple opening lines of The Three Musketeers. And again, you'll have to forgive me if I don't pronounce anything in here correctly. Chapter 1, The Three Presents of Monsieur d'Artagnan the Elder. On the first Monday of the month of April, 1625, the Burg of Myung, in which the author of The Romance of the Rose was born, appeared to be in as perfect a state of revolution, as if the Huguenots had just made a second Rochelle of it. Many citizens, seeing the women flying toward the high street, leaving their children crying at the open doors, hastened to don the cuirass and supporting their somewhat uncertain courage with a musket or a partisan, directed their steps toward the hostelry of the Franc Mineur, before which was gathered, increasing every minute, a compact group vociferous and full of curiosity. And hopefully that'll leave you wanting to read it. So now, moving on to An Old Fashioned Girl by Louise May Alcott. Of course, I have been doing readings of Little Men by the same author. An Old Fashioned Girl is a standalone of hers. The copy I have... Oh my... The most recent date on it is 1911, so my guess is that's around when this one was printed. But this one actually starts out with a conversation between a brother and a sister who are integral parts of this story. It says, it's time to go to the station, Tom. Come on, then. Oh, I'm not going. It's too wet. Shouldn't have a crimp left if I went out such a day as this, and I want to look nice when Polly comes. You don't expect me to go and bring home a strange girl alone, do you? And Tom looked as much alarmed as if his sister had proposed to him to escort the wild woman of Australia. 
Of course I do. It's your place to go and get her. And if you wasn't a bear, you'd like it. And that kind of gives you an idea of the relationship between Fan and Tommy. Um, and then, of course, the girl that they're going to pick up, Polly, is the main character in the story. And it follows her life, kind of. I think she's oh, maybe 14 at the beginning of the story and has builds this relationship with this family. And she comes from a beautiful but poor family, Polly does. And this family that she goes to stay with is rich and at the top of society. And uh, she makes quite an influence upon them. And so that is how the story of that one follows. I do have a couple of quotes from that book in uh, on my Instagram page in my literature highlight. If you want a couple of more peeks into that story. And of course, if you are on my Patreon page, I will take request uh, read-alouds of any of these stories if you're interesting or the first chapters or anything of that type. So I'm going to move on to The Crisis by Winston Churchill. And The Crisis by Winston Churchill uh, covers a good chunk of the Civil War. And um, the Civil War is a tricky subject. Uh, it's, you know, the question of whether it was a battle about slavery or if it was, as I've heard many say, the war of northern aggression or what it was. But it is very evident um, and pretty much impossible to recognize that there was slavery in the United States and that one of the results of the Civil War was that there were less people enslaved afterwards. And this story written by Winston Churchill, of course, who was um, the prime minister in England for a good chunk of time, uh, including during the World Wars, um, he wrote this book. So it's not quite from the perspective of someone from America. And it kind of glorifies Abraham Lincoln, but at the same time, it does show some accurate depictions of him, such as the fact that he was not a good-looking man. So let me read you the beginning of it. I actually really, really enjoyed the storyline in this one, and I think people should be capable of looking into history from all different perspectives themselves and making that decision. But I think one should be able to enjoy a good piece of literature, whether it does or doesn't follow um, history perfectly. But I will say this one it probably doesn't, but it's a fictional tale, so it doesn't need to follow it perfectly. Book one, chapter one, which deals with origins. Faithfully to relate how Eliphalet Hopper came to St. Louis is to betray no secret. Mr. Hopper is wont to tell the story now when his daughter-in-law is not by, and sometimes he tells it in her presence, for he is a shameless and determined old party who denies the divine right of Boston and has taken again to chewing tobacco. Oh, yes, and that's the other note I hadn't said before, is that this book, uh, The Crisis, takes place in... Um, St. Louis. So since it takes place in Missouri, it was kind of a swing state with the Civil War. Wasn't quite sure which direction it would go, and the characters in the story kind of go both ways uh, towards abating both you know, the Union and the Confederacy, or the North and the South. Um, so, 
That one is quite an interesting read, and it's a really good storyline. Again, it is fiction, so it is a really good storyline. Uh, it's just historical fiction. So I'm going to move on to my next book, and it is titled Renaissance and Reformation Times. And it's the only one I have that is just not fictional at all. It is um, a book written by Dorothy Mills in 1939, or at least that's when the most recent copyright on this is, and um, it covers, let's see, it covers the Renaissance in Italy, it covers the Empire, Spain from 1492 to 1598, France of the Renaissance, early Tudor England from 1485 to 1558, the Renaissance in the North, Renaissance Education, the Renaissance and the Discoveries of Science, The Age of Discovery, Europe on the Eve of the Reformation, The Reformation in Germany, Martin Luther, Reformers in Switzerland and France, The Reformation in England, John Knox and the Church of Scotland, The Bible in English, The Wars of Religion, The Counter-Reformation, Economic Changes in the 16th Century, and Elizabethan England. So it covers uh, the span of time that are kind of known as the Renaissance and as the Reformation. And it looks at art from the time, and it looks at science from the time, and it looks from religion at the time and how it was changing um, and reformed and all of that. So I really found it a fascinating book. I read it... I started reading it shortly after I graduated high school, and I don't think I actually finished it until I probably started reading it in 2014, and I read it here and there when I was interested in this subject, and I finished it, I believe, in 2017 when my oldest was small. And so that is... A very interesting book. I think it really covers the times well. It covers different things. And it doesn't just cover one perspective either. It kind of tells you how things were seen by different people. Also amongst the different uh, rulers and kingdoms and countries and such at the time. And then I'm going to finish off with what is considered for sure a classic Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, and I am a clueless figure. I just recently learned that there is a third Bronte sister known for writing literature. I knew about um, Charlotte Bronte and Emily Bronte, but I did not know about Anna, I believe is the third sister's name, who wrote uh, a book whose name I'm not remembering right now. Um, so I'm going to read, let's see... There's, there's quite a bit of um, preface to this book and introduction and stuff, but I'm going to start with uh, the beginning, the first chapter, which in my volume here starts on page three. And so this is once again the beginning of Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. And it says, I have just returned from a visit to my landlord, the solitary neighbor that I shall be troubled with. This is certainly a beautiful country. In all England, I do not believe that I could have fixed on a situation so completely removed from the stir of society. A perfect misanthropist heaven. I feel like I could normally pronounce that word, but not today. And Mr. Heathcliff and I are such a suitable pair to divide the desolation between us. 
A capital fellow! He little imagined how my heart warmed towards him when I beheld his black eyes withdraw so suspiciously under their brows as I rode up, and when his fingers sheltered themselves with a jealous resolution still further in his waistcoat as I announced my name. If that doesn't give you a little bit of the picture into Mr. Heathcliff. But um, Wuthering Heights follows the story of Heathcliff and Catherine, and it's dark and brooding and the perfect kind of thing to read on a rainy day such as today. Um, so those are the six classics featured in my first Instagram reel and the ones I wanted to share with you. So this is a shorter podcast today, but thank you so much for joining me and I would love to hear if you have any thoughts on any of these volumes and I can't wait to talk to you soon. Goodbye! this episode and would love to hear additional episodes, have access to extra content, and are passionate about caring for the needy as I am, I encourage you to check out my Patreon page. You can find it at www.patreon.com shereads. There are different levels at which you can help. One dollar a month gets you early access to all my free episodes and could help plant three potato plants to feed the hungry. $5 a month gets you two book lists a month in addition to early access, as well as some additional read aloud podcasts and could buy a coat or shoes for a homeless person. $10 a month gives you access to all of my episodes, book lists, and more while helping a poor family afford hygiene products or allowing local gardeners to plant three extra rows of plants in their garden to give people in great need. Again, you can find that at www.patreon.com slash shereads. Thanks so much for listening today, and I can't wait to talk to you again next week.